pilots, policemen, firemen, safety-sensitive professions, and psychiatric disease. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Dr. Don Hudson. Dr. Hudson is a psychiatrist, retired Air Force medical officer, and medical advisor to the Airline Pilots Association, the largest pilot union in the United States. He comes to us today from Denver, Colorado, and today we're discussing psychiatric disease in safety-sensitive workers, implication, and recognition. Don, thanks for uh, being with us. Maybe we could start out with a little bit about your background and current responsibilities. Sure, Gary. I'm the director of the uh, Aeromedical Office for the Airline Pilots Association, and as you mentioned, our office is located in Denver, Colorado. Uh, We have six physicians here on staff and about eight administrative personnel. When we talk about psychiatric disease and safety-sensitive workers, what what does that mean to you? Uh, Do you have any thoughts about safety sensitivity and our occupations other than pilots? Well, in my industry, the aviation industry, there obviously are other safety sensitive positions other than pilots, including uh, air traffic controllers, mechanics, uh, dispatchers, and people of that sort. Outside of aviation, folks who I think fit in that safety sensitive uh, category are uh, police, fire, and I would put physicians and nurses in there as well, uh, along with uh, healthcare uh, first responders. So any of us in uh, in the primary care business could have safety-sensitive workers in our population. So let's talk a little bit about those groups and psychiatric disease. In your particular office, what's the spectrum of psychiatric or substance abuse disease uh, that you see? In our office here in Denver, approximately... 25% of our total medical cases involve psychiatric or emotional illness. Inside that number, that 25%, as is, I think, fairly typical for other professional groups, uh, depression accounts for about 50% of the psychiatric cases that we see. Adjustment disorders, family and marital discord problems like that is probably another 25%. The anxiety disorder is about 10%. That's perhaps a little bit lower than you would see in a comparable professional group like ours or or lawyers. And in substance abuse, somewhere between 10 and 12 percent. Among airline pilots, that is overwhelmingly um, alcohol. We don't have, thank goodness, any anyway, a large uh, problem with drugs other than alcohol. And then uh, the rest of that is a hodgepodge of more rare uh, conditions, if you will. Has that spectrum changed over the years? Has it been fairly consistent? You say you've been in the business for about 20 years. Are you seeing the same things that you did 20 years ago? The spectrum has changed a bit. And to give you some perspective on that, when I started out in 1987, psychiatric conditions were probably about 10% of our work. Cardiovascular was 50%. So it has changed over the years. I don't think that necessarily represents more psychiatric illness among airline pilots, but perhaps more a willingness to address that and admit that you have some difficulties. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that has slowly crept up over the years to where it is now, which is about 25%. In that 25%, you mentioned that there was a hodgepodge of other issues. Can you name a few for us? Sure. We do occasionally see um, personality disorders, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. Some of the um, more unusual anxiety uh, disorders are in that group as well. Mm -hmm. We don't see too much of that in our 
population, meaning professional airline pilots, primarily because most of the folks with serious personality issues are, are screened out during the training process and really don't become airline pilots. So we make these diagnoses, or you've made these diagnoses. Um, what's the implications of a psychiatric diagnosis, let's say in the regulatory sense, uh, with professional pilots? There's a, a range of that, Gary. Um, I think in terms of the implications of psychiatric illness among safety-sensitive people, what you see out there in the workplace is decreased productivity, uh, more mistakes, a tolerance for lower standards, perhaps, at times. In some more severe cases, uh, the actual disruptive behavior uh, in the workplace itself. The issue of psychiatric illness with safety-sensitive people is a serious one, and those things do need to be addressed. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Don Hudson, and we're discussing psychiatric disease in safety-sensitive workers, implications, and recognition. Don, you talked a little bit about the implications of uh, psychiatric disease in the workplace. I assume for professional pilots there are administrative and regulatory issues as well. There are indeed. Uh, as you may be aware, Gary, professional pilots uh, need to hold a medical certificate that's issued by the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration. Depending on the crew position that you have, you get a more extensive exam and you get it more frequently. For instance, captains must get their FAA medicals renewed every six months, and first officers or flight engineers, uh, that's every uh, 12 months. And there are specific regulations regarding diagnostic categories and also what treatments you can, uh, you can do if you do have problems and still have the person maintain their certificate and ability to work. It sounds like uh, there might be some disincentives for self-reporting given the consequences of a psychiatric diagnosis. Is that fair to say? I think, unfortunately, that is the case, and that's particularly true uh, with regards to depression and, and its treatment. For instance, if an airline pilot is diagnosed with clinical depression, that in itself is a disqualifying diagnosis in terms of holding your medical certificate. But in addition to that, unlike other professions, if you are then treated with antidepressant medication, even once you're stabilized on the medication and doing well, you cannot exercise the privilege of that medical certificate while you are on those medications. So there is some disincentive in terms of uh, reporting and coming forward, in addition to uh, some cultural disincentive among airline pilots and professional pilots as a group as well. Well, since many of us might be seeing not only pilots but other safety-sensitive people in our practices, maybe you could tell us about some things you look for in the patient history or in the physical as to direct you to psychiatric or important psychiatric disease? That's an, an excellent question. I think particularly for physicians and healthcare providers in a, in a primary care setting, it's rare for patients to come in and say, gee, doc, I think I'm depressed. What you more typically see are people who come in and complain of things like lack of energy, what seem to be minor somatic symptoms, particularly like GI distress and acid reflux kind of symptoms. But an important thing to look for and ask about is sleep disruption, either you know a chronic sleep disruption, either lack of ability to get to sleep or to stay asleep, and persistent feeling of 
intermittent anxiety and decreased energy levels. Those are the kind of things that should clue you in that you might be dealing with uh, an underlying psychiatric condition. Although we're talking about psych disease in general and not substance abuse particularly, I suspect that some of the clues that we look for in a patient's history and physical might be appropriate there as well. Any, any thoughts about how you might push or explore for issues of substance abuse in a safety-sensitive individual? Yeah, that's a difficult one because, unfortunately, what often comes with substance abuse and dependence is also denial, uh, so that it's very difficult, especially in a primary care setting, to elicit that kind of material from people. But what you do sometimes will see is folks who are having trouble in terms of uh, substance abuse or dependence are frequent visitors to the clinic. They are they're calling in sick. Uh, often at the at the last minute, uh, things that really disrupt any business, but particularly in the airline business, that's a that's a factor. And I think also an important thing to look at is blood pressure control and hypertension. That's particularly so with alcoholism, is that is often one of the early manifestations. And if you see a, a combination of hypertension and increased cholesterol, um, hyperlipidemia as well, you need to at least have it in the back of your mind that that might be a factor. Is it fair to say that a number of patients with psychiatric or substance abuse issues uh, might come to the primary care physician not knowing that that's their diagnosis? No question about that. Any advice to us or how to uh, break that news to them? One thing that primary care folks need to, to keep in mind is you'd be very surprised sometimes at what people will say to you if you'll just ask the question, so to speak and inquire directly about their alcohol use. It's almost a paradoxical thing, but uh, a lot of times because they are in denial, they don't necessarily see their use as unusual, and they may actually tell you use that you're like, whoa, that's that's an amazing amount that you're drinking. And they don't think it's that unusual, particularly if they're fairly far along in the disease itself. But you need to ask the question. So if you ask your patient, they may tell you the diagnosis. They certainly may. Let me ask you this, Don. Are there any uh, special instruments or questionnaires uh, that might be accessible to the primary care provider that you could use to uh, get into these issues? That's unfortunately a subject that's not real helpful, especially in general psychiatric disease. There are a number of of questionnaires out there, uh, particularly with regard to depression. Uh, Historically, they just have not been that useful. Um, in terms of screening patients and and then following up with them. I think on the substance abuse side, the questionnaires are a little bit more useful, particularly the MAST test. But for general psychiatric disease, unfortunately, the picture really isn't that good in that regard. Do you use them yourself when you first see a, a patient? In my particular setting, not really. Most of the time when they come to us, uh, we're a little bit more of a, a secondary, almost tertiary kind of uh, Uh, outfit, if you will, so that there already is some idea or suspicion of what might be going on, particularly in the realm of substance abuse, but also psychiatric uh, illness as well. I'd like to thank Dr. Don Hudson, who's been our guest today. We've been talking about psychiatric disease in safety-sensitive workers, implications, and recognition. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. 